Thank you, Debbie. You expect me to follow that? <laughs> and uh, following, uh, David dropped a bomb last week and then dumps me in here the following week. Nice guy, David. Appreciate it. What do you speak on at a time like time of transition? Difficult time, isn't it? Who's coming next? What's going to happen next? What's he going to be like? Or will he be a she? Will he be a good preacher, a good leader? Kind of scary, kind of a lot of questions. Transitions are tough. And Jesus understood that transitions are tough. And so I want to talk to you about what Jesus talked about to his disciples right before he announced that the Jews and the Romans were going to kill him. Great time of transition. I thought this week, what do, you, what do you say at a time? What do you say? What do you talk about? And I decided, as I prayed about it, this is what I want to talk about. This is what I want to talk about. If you can't see it, I got a picture of it right there. That's what I want to talk about. And you say, how are you going to talk about that? Well, our text is Matthew 16. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Where Jesus comforted, encouraged his disciples to guide them through a difficult transition. Jesus said to his disciples, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? As we move into a transition, it's crucial that you understand who your Lord is. If somebody would ask you that question, you go to church, you're a Presbyterian, you're a born-again person, who do you say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What about you? Jesus asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. This profound truth. I mean, you can say it. You may say you believe it. But to understand it, to live by it, this level of profound truth to get into your soul is something that the Holy Spirit has to reveal to you. Peter, you got it, Bubba. I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not stop me. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, when Jesus said that, I really don't think any of his disciples thought, well, you know, he's a carpenter. He's probably going to go build a building. I will build something. 
No, they, the, the word ecclesia, the word Jesus used, didn't even talk about a building. It talked about a group. It talked about a mass of people. I will build my church. Didn't even occur to them he was talking about building a building. But neither did it occur to them that what Jesus actually said is, we will build my church. We will build my church. Now, it didn't really come up until after the crucifixion and after the resurrection. And Jesus was meeting with his disciples on a mountain in Galilee. Sometime during the 40-day period between his resurrection and his ascension into heaven, he met with them in Galilee on the mountain. And he said, go into all the world and make disciples. And you make disciples by baptizing people in my name. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, bringing them into a relationship with me. Go into all the world and make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to live by everything that I have taught you. You can see these guys looking at each other and saying, Is he kidding? Us? You want us to do that? And Jesus said, wait a minute, chill out, guys. Don't worry about it. Lo, I will be with you always. So it's not just you guys. But it's not going to be just me either. When I said, I will build my church, I'm going to do that through you. You're the ones that are going to go out and make disciples. But I'm not going to abandon you. I will be with you always. Because you see, this plan, this strategy I have for building my church is quite an interesting strategy. I can do it without you. I am, after all, God. But I'm not going to do it without you. And you can't do it without me. It's a team effort. You go make disciples, and I'm with you always. So while they're digest digesting that and figuring that out, a few days later, a few weeks later, Jesus is on them with another mountain outside of Jerusalem, uh, the Mount of, Mount of Olives. This is just before he ascended into heaven. And he said, now before I go, guys, I got another one for you. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the end of the world. And again, they're looking at each other saying, us? And he said, yeah, but go back to Jerusalem and wait until the Holy Spirit comes on you. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, then you will be my witnesses here at home out into Judea and Samaria, and around the world. I'm going to build my church. I could do it without you, but I won't do it without you. You are my witnesses. But you can't be my witnesses in the way I intend you to be until the Holy Spirit comes on you. Because I won't do it without you, and you can't do it without me. This thing is bugging me here. Anybody hear that rattling noise? I thought it was my head, but it's this thing banging against the deal. That's better. All right, now we're good. By the way, it's good to be back. I haven't seen y'all. Some familiar faces and some strange faces and some new ones. <laughs> so it's good to be back. And uh, in this transition time, I, I, uh, it's, it's, it's really a, an interesting time in church, isn't it? But we must never forget 
we must never forget that we are teamed up with none other than the living Lord Jesus Christ. And no matter what else you're doing in life, nothing matters more than this. Jesus said, I will build my church. I don't need you. But I'm not going to do it without you. I'm not going to let you miss out on that incredible privilege. So I'm not going to do it without you, and you can't do it without me. So as we think about that, we say, that must have included some really wonderful, miraculous, huge things. Can you imagine God himself working through the Holy Spirit, through us, to build his church. And there were some magnificent things. I mean, shortly after uh, the, uh, the, the Jesus ascended into heaven, we had the day of Pentecost where pre Peter preached a sermon and 3,000 people came to Christ. Now, that's pretty magnificent. And we read in Acts 5 that the apostles were doing signs and wonders. They were doing miracles, healing people, doing some of the stuff Jesus was doing. And it says the Lord is adding every day to the church. So these magnificent things were happening. And through the book of Acts, we find periodically these great miraculous things coming and happening. But you know what? God inspired Luke to not only talk about Peter's great sermons and Paul and Peter and John doing miracles, he also dropped into the text a story of this guy named Barnabas. Barnabas. Barnabas is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. We first meet Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. And here's what it says about Barnabas. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. You say, well, there's nothing impressive about that. I mean, that's not miracles. That's not, is that Jesus working through that? Yeah. 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 Because, you know, the whole thing wouldn't have worked if it hadn't been financed. And here's a guy, an ordinary guy, probably a business guy, owned a field. And he said, I want to I get involved in this. He, was, he probably never met Jesus personally, one-on-one, face-to-face, while Jesus was on the planet. He was from Cyprus. Not even a, some of the Jews would say, not even really one of us. He's one of those half-breed dudes. But what did he do? He had an asset, and he cashed it in. Because he said, there's needs out there. There are people who need food. There are people who need, who need help, and I can help. So he sold his field and brought the money, and he didn't give it out himself. He gave it to the apostles, and they gave it out. That, my friends, is Jesus working through a guy, building his church. An ordinary guy doing ordinary things, and God produced extraordinary results. People were fed. People were clothed. That's how the church grows. That's how Jesus builds his church. Next time we see Barnabas is Acts chapter 9. You know, this Acts chapter 9 is famous for the uh, story of the Apostle Paul, Saul, going up to Damascus to, to arrest Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem to be put on trial for heresy and, and to be put in prison or perhaps even be martyred. So while he's on his way, he had this great 
incredible experience with Jesus. He became a Christian. You know the story, great story about Paul. Well, Paul immediately started preaching the gospel there in Damascus, and the Jews in Damascus got ticked off about him and put a hit on it, put a contract on it. We're going to get rid of this guy. So they smuggled Paul out of, out of Damascus. He gets back to Jerusalem, and Luke picks up the story here. When Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. Okay, so Paul, new, new gimmick here. Paul says, yeah, I'm one of you guys. I want to get in the thing. It's like letting the fox into the chicken house. No, buddy. You're not going to get in here and get more names to arrest. Forget about it. So Paul, not welcome here. And then Luke says, but Barnabas took Paul and brought him to the apostles. Wow. Paul wasn't, uh, Barnabas wasn't one of the 12. He wasn't one of the big kahunas. He's just a guy, just an ordinary guy, living an ordinary life. But he said, Paul has a problem here. I'm a fellow Christian. I'm a brother in Christ. I can go and help this guy. So Barnabas put his reputation on the line said to the apostles, to the big guys, give this guy a break. The next time we see Barnabas is Acts chapter 11. The persecution grew greater there in Jerusalem, and a lot of the Christians scattered. They got out of town. They got out of Dodge. And some of them went 300 miles north to this great city called Antioch, up uh, 300 miles north of Jerusalem. Antioch was one of the three great cities in the Roman Empire. Rome, Alexandria, and Antioch, kind of a tripartite location there around the Mediterranean. And some of these folks, new believers, of course they were all new believers, the movement wasn't that old yet, but some of these guys, and the, the text indicates that some of them might have been, been Greeks, they were leading from Cyprus and Cyrene, they weren't from Jerusalem, probably were not original believers, original followers of Christ, but they knew Jesus, and they just got out of town. And they moved to this new city, this place called Antioch. And it says they just began talking about the gospel. Wait a minute, I went too far here. It says, uh, it says uh, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, to Gentiles also. Ooh, telling the gospel to the Gentiles. You're not supposed to do that. Well, these guys were dumb. They didn't know any better. They said, these people don't know Jesus. We know Jesus. We got to tell them about Jesus. That's how it works. It's not the apostles going up there. It's these regular folks, men and women, who knew Jesus and couldn't not share that good news. Someone said evangelism is one poor beggar telling another poor beggar where to find a crust of bread. And so it's just out of these guys. What else are you going to talk about? We've got to talk about Jesus. This is the greatest news we ever heard. So they go up there to Antioch and spreading the news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Well, the news of this reached the church of Jerusalem. The big guys heard about it. The apostles heard about it. And they sent, guess who? Barnabas. They said, we've got we to figure out what this thing is going on up there. We've got to send somebody up there to see what's happening. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and 
encouraged them. The son of encouragement. Now Barnabas didn't go up there and take the ministry away from them. He didn't go up there and hold a great revival. The preacher's here. The rest of you guys sit down. I'm taking over now. I got the real deal. No, no. He said, this is your ministry. You folks, you're going to the offices. You're going to the marketplace. You're going to the neighborhoods. You're going to the clubs. You're playing, probably not golf, whatever they played. But as you're out there with your friends and your buddies, you're talking about Jesus. I'm not going to put a stop to that. My job isn't to do that for you. My job is to encourage you as you do it. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he wasn't just talking about noses. It wasn't just about butts and seats. It was about strength. I will build you people. And Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians, the body grows, the body gets healthy, the body gets strong by that which every joint supplies. According to the proper working of each individual part, that's what causes the growth of the body to the building up of itself in love. And Barnabas said, my job as a leader is just to encourage you people, to help you people, to pray with you, to put my arm around you, to encourage you. Isn't that fantastic? So as you're looking for a next pastor, look for somebody who's going to come in here and say, my passion, my job, my role is to turn you into heroes. To sit in the third row and watch you guys get it done. Your Stevens ministry here, fantastic. You got people all over this community doing this stuff. This building, this building wasn't built on a salary, preacher's salary. It's built by people who sold a piece of land and made this possible. Bible studies. Some of you guys out there, I can see you doing these Bible studies out there. Prison ministry, going down to the prison. All this kind of stuff. That ain't preachers. It's folks. It's ordinary people doing ordinary things so God can produce extraordinary results. Jesus said, I'm not going to do it without you. And you can't do it without me. We will build this thing. I'm not going to leave you out of it. I love that story. Now we have great heroes. We have great people. We have Augustine, Calvin, Wesley, Spurgeon, Billy Graham, all these great names. We've got your Stevens ministers. We've got a guy on Thursdays works in your closet down there giving Cheerios to people. And t-shirts. My dear Jeanette died, died on a Thursday after. I got a call from the guy giving out the Cheerios. Harry Wilson. He didn't send me a box of Cheerios. It wouldn't have made any sense. He just called and said, how you doing? And he has called me every single Thursday for the past two years. <laughs> Now, Harry's a nice guy, but he ain't Billy Graham. Neither am I. He's an ordinary guy picking up the phone, making a phone call. How many of you people are doing that over and over and over again? And it never occurred to you that Jesus said, I'm going to use you to build my church. This is a team effort.
I won't do it without you, and you can't do it without me. Well, the church in Antioch grew, and it became the church that sent out the first missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, and a young guy named Mark, John Mark. So they're off on their journey, and they, uh, to, to, they're going up to Galatia, where they planted their first missionary journey. Two years, they're up there planting churches, spreading the gospel. About halfway through that trip, John Mark, the young guy, says, hey, you know, this ain't what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be a cruise. I thought we were going to have banquets, and, you know, this is hard. And, you know, I kind of miss mom's cooking and Jerusalem's. And they need me back in Jerusalem. Have a good time, guys. I'll pray for you. <laughs> but I'm going home. And he did. He left them. Well, then they, Paul and Barnabas had this great missionary trip. They led people to Christ. They came back and reported to the apostles what they had done. Beautiful story. And then after the, uh, after the, the report they gave to the uh, uh, apostles about the first trip, says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord to them and see how they're doing. Hey, great idea. Second missionary journey. So Barnabas says, good idea, Paul. I'll put that together. I'm the, kind of the administrator here. I'll put it all together. Uh, and and uh, so Barnabas said, well, you, you me, and, and, I'll, and John Mark. Uh, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark called uh, with him. But Paul did not think it wise to take him. Because he had deserted them in Pamphylia. Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. In infamy, gone. We don't hear about Barnabas again in the book. See, when they went, getting ready to go to the second trip, Barnabas said, Mark's going. Paul said, Mark's a loser. You don't win by playing losers. See, Paul focused on what Mark failed to do. Barnabas focused on what Mark was able to do. Paul saw a weenie. Barnabas saw a winner. Barnabas was the kind of guy who says, Jesus Christ is about turning losers into winners. Yeah, Mark blew it. Mark failed. But we got to give him another shot. Then you go to the second Timothy chapter four, Paul's last letter, written to a young Timothy, pastor of the church in Ephesus. And he wrote, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. Paul is in prison, waiting to be executed. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And any day they're going to come and put me to death. So, Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. Bring my cloak. It's cold here in the prison. Bring the parchments. I need something to read. It gets boring sitting here. And get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Why was Mark helpful to Paul? in Paul's ministry, not because of Paul's investment in Mark, 
but because of Barnabas's investment in Mark. An ordinary guy doing ordinary stuff, producing extraordinary results. You go around the church and ask people, you go around the world and ask Christian people, do you know about Barnabas? Most people say, Barnabas? I've heard of barnacles, but I don't know anything about Barnabas. What about Mark? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I know Mark. Mark wrote a gospel, the first gospel. Matthew and Luke patterned their gospels after Mark's gospel. Mark was helpful to Paul in the ministry. Mark supported Peter in his ministry. Why? Because a quiet guy named Barnabas put his arm around him and said, Barnabas, uh, Mark, I believe in you. I'm going to have to kick your butt. I'm going to have to get you squared away. But that's what God is all about. See, Jesus said, I could do it without you, but I'm not going to. And you can't do it without me. It's a team effort. And that's why with this thing here, One of my faculty members, when I was the dean of school of theology at Colorado Christian University, one of my faculty guys, Aaron Smith, came in one morning and he had a box all wrapped up, beautiful box with a bow on it and all that. And he said, Don, his wife and I were at an art show this weekend and we saw this, what's in that box. And I had opened it. And he said, the reason I bought this is this epitomizes our department. As faculty, we're here doing our job not only teaching Bible facts, but our responsibility is to help these kids grow in their faith, to be better men and women of God. And while we're doing our job and we're taking hits from parents because their little baby didn't get an A in the course, all that kind of grief, we know you're, you've got our back. You're the dean. You're back there. You're pushing. You're training. You're teaching. You're supporting us. This pictures us. And I said, well, you know, Aaron, as I look at that, I can turn it around and say the same is true of you guys. As I'm doing my job as dean, I have to give reports to the president and to the academic vice president. What are we doing over here in our school of theology? Are we just teaching facts or are these kids growing in Christ? Are they becoming better Christians? And as I make that report, I make it with confidence because I know you guys are back here doing your job, you're studying and you're praying and you're meeting with these kids and you're doing what you need to do. So it works both ways. And then I jumped it to a higher level and said, it's not only true of us as people, but Jesus said, I will build my church. You recognize this Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill. And Jesus said, I got an enormous task in front of me. I'm trying to turn lousy people into great people. I'm trying to redeem people from sin. Grouchy, grumpy, lousy people. I'm trying to turn into great men and women of God. That's what I'm doing. That's a tough job. I push this rock up the hill 30 feet. It comes back 40 feet. Got to push it up again. But you know what? I'm not going to do it alone. We will build my church. You will make disciples. You're back there with me. And at the same token, we are the ones who are making the disciples. Get this way. Yeah, all right. A little confusing here. This is above my pay grade. I'm used to just talking. Anyway, as you're out there, 
praying for this church, praying for each other, teaching that Bible study, as you're sitting around the table with your kids or your grandkids, and they're just watching you live life, as you're playing golf or racquetball, as you're having lunch, as you're meeting at your Kiwanis club, whatever it is you're doing, you're just doing life. Ordinary people like you and me. I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not an Augustine. Neither are you. Well, maybe some of you are. Let me put it this way. I'm an ordinary guy. I'll leave it up to you whether you think you're ordinary or not. I'm not going there. But the fact is, it's just us folks. But never forget that Jesus said, when my Holy Spirit comes on you, then you will be my witness. You go make disciples, but I am with you always. And sometimes it is grand and glorious things. But most often, over the history of Christianity for the last 2,000 years, far more often, it's guys like Barnabas, guys like me, guys like you, just normal folks, with the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, as we do our ordinary day-to-day life, Jesus said, I will use that life, your life, to do extraordinary things. That's what it's all about. Sad that David is leaving. Time of transition. But Jesus said, don't worry. David said, well, there's a couple of, don't fret. Don't worry about it. I won't do it without you. And you can't do it without me.